Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. This is number 19 in this particular series on the spiritual man. We've been taking our text most of the time from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Yesterday we strayed just a little bit to cover some other things. But let's go back there and let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul had to say because there's still more to mine out of this verse. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. And we got to remember, the natural person is the one who receives information only from the five physical senses. In other words, if they can't see it or hear it or feel it or smell it or taste it, then they can't accept it. They do not understand that there is a kind of knowledge that comes to us from another dimension that is not transmitted through these five physical senses. So the, the natural man then is limited because he can never truly know God because God's not a part of the material universe. He created it. He can affect it, but doesn't live in it. He's not confined to it. This natural world came into existence by forces from the unseen spiritual world. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So this very clearly says that God created the universe from nothing. So what we have here is we have a spiritual force that is far superior to natural forces, natural things. Natural things then are things that are observed through the physical senses. And they're subject to change because uh, spiritual forces are infinitely greater. And God created the natural world to change and to uh, be affected by various different elements. Uh, one of the things we can think of uh, is the second law of thermodynamics, that all things deteriorate as they exist in this world. A limb that falls off the tree uh, falls into the ground. Instead of sprouting new leaves, instead of growing uh, into a brand new plant all over again, it disintegrates into the soil. Uh, that's the second law of thermodynamics. And so uh, the fact that this is a, a law, a very tangible law, defies the laws uh, that, that, that would be ascribed to evolution because evolution cannot overpower that second law of thermodynamics. It flies in the face of that. God overcomes the second law of thermodynamics with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and that's the parent force that created the universe. Now, it's important to understand parent forces because everything in this natural world and all of its laws, it was all created by God. Here's a great illustration of this. It's found in Mark 4.41, and it's when Jesus and the apostles were on a boat going across the Sea of Galilee, and a violent storm blew up, and, and they were terribly afraid. And Jesus had told them, we're going to the other side. But they forgot that, and uh, they, they gave in to fear, and they woke him up, and they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? We're, we're all going to drown here. And so Jesus stood, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And when it was over, this is what they said, last verse of Mark chapter 4, Who can this be 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. In other words, <laughs> this is not an ordinary guy. I mean, we've had some prophets that were pretty amazing, but nobody like this. Even the wind and the sea obey him. And that's to be expected because he was their parent. He created them. The Bible says that the worlds were framed by the word of God. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is nothing new. It's only natural that those forces would obey the word of Jesus because he is the one who created them in the first place. Now, God then shook the natural world of the Corinthian church, and we've read this, with demonstrations of the Holy Spirit and of power. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. i, I got to stop. If there was any place on earth where human wisdom held sway, it was in Greece. Greece was the place where reason exploded onto the planet and where philosophers developed and where men began to discover natural laws and so forth. And they did come up with some very amazing things and very amazing insights, but it was incomplete because they did not have revelation knowledge. And so Paul said, when I went to Corinth, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I'm not going to try to use that here, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In fact, he said, I preached a very simple message. All I preached was that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified and raised from the dead, and he limited his message to that. Now, he knew a whole lot more than that, but he didn't deliver more than that. Because he knew that even that small portion of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was raised from the dead, he knew that God would confirm that message with demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. Now, this is a mystery to me. I, I, I see it. I, I, I can tell you a little bit about it. I don't fully understand it. And I don't know that anybody does. But God seems to turn up levels of power at different times. One of the things that I've observed is that the greatest miracles seem to happen on what I would call the gospel frontier. In other words, God seems more willing to do a miracle when people are hearing the good news for the very first time. And we see this a lot on the mission field. We hear amazing stories, and I don't think it's just because that people are more simple or less educated. I think it's that they're hearing for the first time. And that's what you see. Uh, where was the uh, manna given? Where did God rain down the manna from heaven? In the wilderness, in a frontier, in a wilderness. Where did Jesus multiply loaves and fishes? In the boonies not in the big cities. Jesus did not multiply loaves and fishes in the city where there were plenty of places to get food. He did it when they needed a miracle. So you see the Lord responding to circumstances in different ways and at different times. And so uh, when people have uh, are in a great darkness and have never heard before, there's a very good chance that that's where God's really going to turn on His power. So God loves to confirm the truth of His Word with supernatural signs. Here's a great story that illustrates it. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 14, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. 
And they were preaching, Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel there. Gospel is good news. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. How did Paul do this? He saw that the man had faith. What did he do? Did he say, Hey, if you've got faith to be healed, raise your hand. And the man raises his hand. No. Paul was able to see something, and not with these eyes. Because in this context that we've started with in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard. In other words, God does not reveal His eternal truths through what we see with our eyes. It wasn't the natural eye that showed Paul that this man had faith. There was something else that he saw, and it was a seeing by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit in him, enlightening his spirit. He could see by just looking in the direction of the man, this guy's got faith to be healed. How do you know? I don't know. I just know. And it was a no-so kind of thing, a perceiving. And boy, this is so very, very important. Uh, Paul is both seeing and knowing that the man has faith. And that's the definition of the word that's used here. He, he perceived that the man had faith. That means to see it and to know it. And it was not just a seeing with the eyes, but it was a spiritual sight. Now, somebody says, oh man, I don't know if this really happens. It happens all the time. Uh, it, you know, everybody who receives Jesus Christ, maybe not immediately, sometimes it may take a week or so. It did me. It, it, it took about a week for me to experience this. I don't know how it happened in the first week or so. I knew Jesus was real. Didn't feel him immediately. Most of the kids in the room who came to Christ where I got saved they obviously felt something because they were all crying. I didn't feel anything. So I went away discouraged because I thought, I don't feel anything. And, 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 and I think maybe I was disappointed because I had been told to expect a feeling. And I didn't have a feeling. But within a week, I had something that was even stronger than a feeling. And it wasn't a feeling. It was not an emotion. It was a supernatural knowledge. And I knew that God was real. I knew he was. I knew that Jesus had heard my prayer. I knew that he lived in me. I knew he was the son of God. I knew there was a resurrection. I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but I knew it had happened. And it was a knowledge that I had in my spirit. And anyone who receives Christ has that kind of an assurance or a perceiving. It is an inward knowledge. And it is the ability to perceive a spiritual reality. And that's what happened with Paul concerning this man. He perceived the spiritual reality that that man is listening to what I've been saying. Now, and he has faith. Tells me something else. It tells me that when Paul was preaching, he preached that God would heal people. Because how else would the man have faith to be healed 
if he had not heard that God wanted to heal. So obviously a message of healing was a component of the gospel that Paul preached. The man had faith to be healed. The Bible says it clearly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, we don't see many people healed today. Well, is it because maybe they never hear that God wants to heal? And I would challenge you to give God an opportunity to heal. I mean, you know, you, you know where we stumble? We stumble because we think we have to heal. That's not our part. The Bible says, these signs will follow them who believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All I have to do is lay my hands on people, pray for people. God, up to you now. I did my part. You didn't tell me to heal them. You told me to lay hands on them and pray for them. Now it's up to you. And let God work. Trust God to work. A lot of times we think it all depends on us and how great our faith is. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Many times I have prayed for people who were healed of things that were greater than my faith. It was greater than my faith because the work was God, not me. And we think that we have to have this amazing faith in order to pray. All right, now we should expect God to confirm His Word with demonstrations of the Spirit that are truly supernatural. And I'm going to step on some toes right now in this. First of all, let me say this. I am a believer in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other languages. I believe that. I, I, I suppose you could say I'm a classical Pentecostal. I, I don't behave like most classical Pentecostals. You might say I'm also charismatic. I don't behave like most charismatics. But I, I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Unfortunately, many believers who profess a belief in the continuing supernatural works of the Holy Spirit do not distinguish between true supernatural works and emotional responses to the presence of God that are purely human. And I'm going to say that again. Most of the time, we do not distinguish between true supernatural works and emotional responses to the presence of God that are purely human. I've heard people say, well, God pinned me to the floor. Well, I, I, I could see that you might be overwhelmed by God's presence and you may not want to get up. I get that. Isn't it amazing how God never pins anybody to the wall, only to the floor? <laughs> and I'm not trying to be ugly. I, God could pin somebody to the wall if he wanted to. But why call something a miracle that really isn't a miracle? Well, I'll tell you what, God was really moving. We were all shaking. Well, in the book of Acts, the Bible says that the place where they prayed was shaken, not the people, the place. Now, don't get me wrong. I think people can be moved on by the Holy Spirit and quiver and feel the presence of God and have a human and emotional response to the presence of God, but that doesn't mean that it's a miracle. So don't call it a miracle. It's a human response. And if we're not careful, we mislead people into thinking that we're claiming this is indeed a miracle over here when it's not. And I'm going to tell you what I think, and this is my opinion, but it's my opinion that we grieve the Holy Spirit just as much by equating human responses to the miraculous as we do by denying the miraculous. And uh, let's just be honest about it. God doesn't need our help. Now, now listen to the spirit of the New Testament. This is Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Um, the Bible describes Jesus, to whom the apostles... 
He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That word infallible and proof, actually uh, the two words together are really from one word. It's tekmerion, and it means a sure sign a positive proof. That's from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. Strong says it is a criterion of certainty. Meaning that when Jesus worked miracles, they were genuine miracles. Now, I want to say this. Jesus had more opposition than any of us will ever know. I mean, Satan hated him with a passion, and there were people who sought to kill him. From the time he was an infant, they wanted to take him out. And so they were highly motivated to discredit him, destroy him in any way. There is not one record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or later in Acts, not one record of any miracle being bogus or anyone saying the man that was supposedly blind was not really blind. Nobody could argue with that. You know what we see? We see that they were left with only one thing. They were left with attributing the miracle to the devil. And, you know, a lot of our critics today don't have to go that far because it's too easy to point to what we say is a miracle and it really wasn't a miracle or wasn't verifiable. Listen to me. We don't have to help God. We can cooperate with God, but we don't have to manufacture something and call it a miracle. Let God do something. Listen, be open about it. If we had an amazing emotional response to the Holy Spirit, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't call it a miracle. Let God do the miracles. And when He does do the miracles, He does real miracles. And then test them. Let's, let's, let's get some proof. Let's interview people. Let's find out, was this really what you said it was? That's when God gets the greatest glory. Well, I told you I was going to step on toes. And uh, we're going to get into this a little bit more in the last episode of this series, the, uh, the, the Spiritual Man, and that would be episode 20. That's my next one. So thank you for joining with me on this one, and uh, we'll pick up the next one tomorrow. 